Welcome to Homeowner AF. Today I'm here with Suzanne Martineau, who is the Muskoka Community Land Trust Chair. And I am also joined by Sandy Martin, who's the Business Development Leader of the Muskoka Land Trust. So welcome, ladies. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Um, Suzanne and I were actually connected uh, by a community contact who learned about my podcast and said, you need to meet Suzanne. And I said, okay. And then I've kind of fallen down this rabbit hole of these creative solutions to the Muskoka housing issue. So before we begin, I'd like to give a little bit of context about what the housing issue really is here. And I will share my perspective because as somebody who's a transplant from really from Northern Ontario, but uh, by way of Southern Ontario, I moved up here post pandemic, made some great money on my house and thought, oh my gosh, I can go to a smaller market, purchase a larger home, have a great life for my family. And that's what we did. And we are so thrilled that we did that. And <laughs> I began to learn that this phenomenon that's happening in this kind of migration north is really wearing on the communities here. Because if you know Muskoka, if you're listening from somewhere else in Ontario, Muskoka is really driven by tourism and service and all that we need people to fill these needs, right? So unfortunately, the people who get left behind are the people who are supporting our communities mm -hmm. by way of housing. So Suzanne, do you want to speak a little to what this issue looks like? Yes, it's interesting. Your own, your very own history mm -hmm. and your own transactions in the last five years or so have actually been the reason behind um, the dynamics in the marketplace. So mm -hmm. I have a real estate background and, you know, over the years, what we have seen, particularly starting in 2015, is that um, being a destination place to live, destination holiday area, but also destination retirement community and place to, to move young families. Um, we've seen this influx of uh, people coming in from wealthier communities where housing is a lot more value, more valuable and selling in, in those locations and coming in and buying here. And so of course it, pushes the average home price tremendously up. So so I noticed starting back in 2015 that our local people looking to buy homes were all of a sudden competing with cash on the table offers from people who just sold their home for double the price. Um, so that's been the dynamic and that was the start of um, the whole unaffordability um, for locals um, or the average worker here in Muskoka and then of course topped with the pandemic and you know the whole panic situation as to where we're all headed and the work um, from home phenomenon the work from home phenomenon so wow that whole that whole impetus um, made you know wreaked havoc as mm -hmm. far as um, the housing market up here is concerned and that's not just specific to Muskoka it's mm -hmm. Across Canada. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 2015, that tracks as prices really skyrocketed down south, then where do people go? Mm -hmm. And similar things are happening in different markets, like investor markets. But these are actually 
single family homes that are becoming unaffordable. The residential component is the component that we're truly focused in on for the community land trust yes. because that's where the issues lie. And um, so I guess if you just want a, a, a general picture of what's what Muskoka looks like, let's talk let's talk about Bracebridge particularly because we happen to be sitting in Bracebridge mm-hmm. today. Um, the average house sale when I looked in March was $788,000. And I know Sandy's laughing. Sandy lives in another community of Gravenhurst. And how long have you been up here? Oh, I grew up in Gravenhurst, but I bought the house that I have now in 2010. And it was $193,000. And do you know the value of your home today? Oh, it's bonkers. It's nonsense. So, yeah. So (laughs) if I look at the demographics... So demographics of a marketplace are very important when it comes to what the housing product is, right? So if we have 28% seniors in Bracebridge, what kind of product do we have that they can afford? And what was really interesting, this is way pre-pandemic, you know, 20 years ago when I moved up here, there was no condominiums. And we, I had this group of clients who had homes looking to downsize or what we call right size, move into a smaller space, put some equity way for them to live on, which was kind of like the natural progression of what we think of mm-hmm. when we own equity in a home. There was nowhere for them to go. So they were staying in these homes. They were becoming, um, you know, they weren't keeping up with maintenance, et cetera. And becoming way too much work for seniors. So there has been um, an explosion, or not explosion, but there have been condominiums built. They tend to be luxury condominiums, (laughs) which is not what we need because they do cater to people moving in from out of town. So, you know, we have 28% of the population who are seniors. We have 51% of our population that are service workers, and tradespeople. So um, the average, the AMI, so the area medium, median income for um, Bracebridge is about $85,000 a household. And you'd think, okay, that's pretty decent. However, that will buy you a 250 to a 200, well, you're a mortgage agent. Yeah. If I'm making $85,000 a year in my household, which is two full-time jobs in the service mm-hmm. industry, hardworking full-time workers, what can I buy? So typically you say four times your income, right? And that's not even putting a dent in that $700,000 property. Right. right. Never mind qualifying in the recent months what's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's unattainable. It is. And then, you know, you look at Huntsville and their area median income is 75000 And, you know, and Gravenhurst is different. So it's this big dilemma where mortgage agents can't qualify people who are working full-time, who have been working full-time for years, who have, let's say, no credit issues, etc., because they can't find a product that mm-hmm. they can buy. And to give a little bit of clarity to what that looks like, as I speak with people all the time who are convinced that they will be able to afford a home. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I make my credit card payments, I have a down payment saved or it's been given to me, uh, all these things, 
And I say, you know what? We're just short or we're a lot bit short. And that's crushing. It's crushing. It is absolutely crushing because I don't know if somebody is listening and they are a homeowner, that is such a huge accomplishment and it's such a long road to get there. So somebody saying no is very discouraging and I think really affects the, um, I call it the income of joy into somebody's life because really it's, it's kind of the start of building And if you don't have the sense that you're building something, you have the sense that something's being taken away from you. And mentally, that is really tough. So that's the health of the community. Right. So a community land trust, you know, truly considers in its design the health and well-being of that community. And and we'll talk about how they work and 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 how, you know, community assets can actually be given to a land trust to generate the health of that community. And we have to get that across to our politicians because they still look at land as an asset, not as a a community-owned asset, which it truly is. So we've got a little little education and and awareness to do out there um, locally. However, um, I, I... you know, we all have children. I have children in, in their 20s, spanning across the 20s, almost 30, and it's discouraging to listen to them. I, I recall being their age. I always had hope. I always had plans. I always, you know, move, would move forward. And to listen to them, there is the component of hope that has been missing. And, you know, on top of the pandemic and and now inflation has caused havoc um so it it wears on their mental health and no fault of their own Mm -hmm. i mean i was fortunate i'm about 10 years older and got into the market at the right time but would it would definitely be unattainable for me right now and Mm -hmm. that's what's frustrating it's Mm -hmm. no fault Mm -hmm. of these people who are unable to Mm -hmm. purchase their homes. And most of them, again, who are gainfully employed with good credit records, a lot of them don't have that down payment. A lot of them don't have that gifted family money. Um, So therefore, what do they have to do? Well, the first thing we use to advise them is save your money for a down payment. Well, (laughs) if, if they can't obtain a rental unit, that is remotely near 30% of their um, gross income, it is now, there's, they don't stand a chance. Mm-hmm. So we're really, really hoping that once we launch our first product in, or our first development in Muskoka, and we prove, you know, how attainable this can be for that uh, working class set, um, you know, we'll think we'll, we'll just duplicate it everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm very excited. You're getting me jacked up, Suzanne. I love I'm, that. Well, you, you know, we're a volunteer board. We've yes. been working since 2019, hard since 2020, and um, this just I I can't tell you how excited I am about this. <laughs> I've never ever worked for anything I've been more excited about. And I do a lot of different volunteer work and paid work, but this is, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. I and, can't wait to and see this. In our previous conversations, I had shared that I was an educator previously, and I just see the value of a project like this. And I, I think of the mom who it has transient housing is unable to keep their children clean and fed and clothed because they're moving all the time and then that comes out at the school level mm-hmm. and then there's resources to support the child but then what happens to the mother and then the mother has to move again and go to a different school and then so i see the effect 
like boots on the ground in the education system. So then I know working backwards, the reach that this project could have is just incredible for the community. So I would like you folks to tell me a little bit about what the community land trust would look like in action. Okay. You can jump in anytime oh, I will. you want, Sandy. <laughs> so a community land trust, the the concept is that we hold we obtain land and hold it and we develop it to the benefit of that community to suit the community's needs. And our biggest um, issue in Muskoka is housing. So we're focused on developing housing, not just housing, but housing that is affordable. The Land Trust is a nonprofit entity. And without that, you know, that's the basic is it has to be a nonprofit entity in order to follow the philosophical guidelines that it has. So, So we acquire land, and mostly by donation, because in order for us to start a project, we need equity, and the equity is in the land. And lenders like the credit unions, Kortha Credit Union specifically locally, they will look at that equity and say, okay, you have something we can start with. So we take that land, separate the land from what we develop the structure on. So let's say we have a couple of acres and the need is for rental housing. Um, We will develop the best, highest density rental housing that we can. Um, And we have to acquire as many subsidies as we can up front on the construction side so that by the time that house comes to market, we can, or rental unit or whatever we're doing because we can we can also do home ownership model but um, by the time that comes to market the rent rates will be below market value Mm. they won't be dependent on what's going out there in the market they'll be more geared towards the area median income and a 30 percent of that area median income earner so that it's affordable so that's the rental side. On the home ownership side, we would do very much the same. So our target resale or sale price on home ownership would be 250 to 300. And so it's really up to us to make sure that we have all the subsidies up front that we can offer the product at that price. So just to clarify, you're pricing the product according to the median income of the community, not according to the real estate market. Correct. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. And so, but we're taking it out of the real estate market. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the whole key. And it's very difficult for people who are homeowners to understand, well, if I buy a house, then you know it's my house and I can resell it. But the thing with a land trust and offering a product at 250000 is A, they don't exist out there. The only way that we can do it is by separating land and structure. And then we can, you, we can remove the barriers for ownership. And then you know once they go, we can continue on that affordability. It never goes back into the real estate market. It never really gets um, put up against what's happening out there. Um, and if there's a home ownership model, um, we would probably come up with legal contracts where there was a shared equity. We don't want to, you know, we want to be able to remove barriers of home ownership and and we also want um, the, the purchasers and the owners of these homes to move on to bigger homes if possible. So, 
you know, if they pay down the mortgage, there's equity in that that they've saved. And then, yes, you know, these are not going to be stagnant prices. They are going to go up over time. So if they if the values go up or under over time under this model, we'll we'll split the equity with them so they can take a portion of it and along with their mortgage paid paid off equity and then we retain it and keep the housing market low or housing resale value low. Wow. So for folks who are struggling to save a down payment, what would that look like for them? Oh my goodness. I am I have got a meeting coming up with the banks. <laughs> um, and and there are products both at the district level and at the at the credit union level that assist people with a down payment. So let's say and 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 by the way with a home ownership model let's let's just stick to that for now but let's say someone um, wants to buy one of our housing units Typically, they would be two bedroom, one bathroom, 850, 1,000 square feet. They're not going to be big at that price point, but um, they would have to qualify to purchase. So not anybody off the street can buy 10 of these units. They have to reflect the area median income or less. So they have to qualify to buy. And then once they qualify to buy under our guidance, like our rules and regulations, then the um, banks and the credit unions would qualify them as a mortgagee um, and then um, and then hopefully align them with down payment assistance mm-hmm. and they know that they they understand that that's needed and um, I'm excited that there are going to be those opportunities mm-hmm. and that there's community entities willing to work and to kind of push the train forward. And those mechanisms already exist, which is brilliant. It's nice that we're, you know, building the community land trust model here. Um, but some of the things that we, the partnerships with district, with credit unions, the, some of those things that would need to be in place are already in place. You're not building the whole thing from scratch, mm-hmm. which is lovely. Mm-hmm. We're just aligning, uh, aligning lenders yep. to our qualified exactly. buyers. And also with this model, as you progress, then it will just kind of be plug and play because you'll have all the partners working on the same. I love collaboration. This is amazing. (laughs) That is, I will say it out loud. I have always been entrepreneurial and and worked for myself and I've owned businesses and a corporation, et cetera. This is my first venture into launching a nonprofit. The collaboration level is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that leads to, you know, uh, other CLTs across Canada and the community network of uh, CLTs. Like there it's it's wonderful. Every you know, there's so much interest in in getting a housing model to succeed. Um, that it's moved forward quite smoothly. It's not been a tremendous fight um, to to attract the attention we need, yeah. I think. That's amazing. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've talked a little bit about how it works and how you keep housing affordable. Is there a specific project right now that you folks are working on? There are um, two proposals at the at a very high level that we have on the table for the town of Huntsville and um, and here in Bracebridge. I think Huntsville is a little bit more advanced. We have um, we'll just kind of go back to how we were in Huntsville. I think first in 2019, the district of Muskoka 
realized, you know, out loud, there's a major housing crisis happening Mm -hmm. and we need help. So, so in many communities across Canada, because of the history of housing, so housing used to fall under social housing used to fall under the federal government. And then it was pushed onto the provincial government in the 90s and then, you know, so now it's at the municipal level that they're feeling the crunch of housing issues and they reached out to the general public, um, you know, realtors, developers, anybody who was involved in housing or had a stake in housing to help them come up with a solution. So in 2019, men in Port Carling was over 100 people at this task force meeting or conference and they broke out into five kind of uh, tasks groups Mm -hmm. to look at various aspects of housing finances new models all this type of thing and then it kind of went quiet through covid but at the beginning there was three of us that branched out that got very excited about not you land (laughs) very excited but it wasn't my concept so Melinda Zyderick with a fourth pig which is uh, green and cooperative builders is situated here in Baysville they're quite well known um, she was at the table with anyway there's three of us and so we started researching the land trust model and I was I thought for sure I could see how it could work because again of my background so I basically we launched we inc- I donated the first big chunk of money that we needed to incorporate and then we built a board we're now in a board of nine people and so that housing task force just to circle back to your question um, of Huntsville was led by uh, Nancy Alcock at the time, who was the deputy mayor at the time, I believe, and and um, very very concerned about housing. So when we when we amalgamated and formed organized our land trust, we went back to the district, and we went to all the municipalities. The it's a two tier municipality. It's the district, and then we've got the lower tiers of towns and townships. We went back to all of them, and we went back to the town of Huntsville and said, "Okay," went back to the district. Okay, guess what? You asked for it. We came up with us one solution. Mm-hmm. Here is what we want to do. Here is what we look like. This is where we're at. Now we need your help. We need land because we need to start a project. And sure enough, they were kind enough to um, to see the value, to see the potential, and to come up with a parcel of land that we can start planning. So there's been no land changed hands as of yet. We don't want the land until the last minute, of course. Um, but we are deep into planning a beautiful community-based neighborhood. Um, which, you know, gives me tingles. That's incredible. It's it's a decent parcel of land. It's located in in the kind of walkable to that downtown core of Huntsville, which is very important with Mm -hmm. affordable um, housing because not everyone will have a car. Let's say somebody's working downtown forever and, you know, can walk home. That type of thing would be beautiful. Um, But uh, we're looking at, you know, a seven phase potentially 100 unit um, development and 
Um, and we're working very collaboratively with the district and the town of Huntsville on that. Wow. So it is exciting. And I wish I could say more at this juncture. Um, but when we get that secured and when that plan is, we'll come back and tell you all about it. We will yeah. shout it from the rooftops. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Um, in our preliminary conversations, you showed me an incredible model of what this could be. Um, and it encompassed outdoor spaces, green spaces. Um, it was a very green model, very energy efficient. I think going back to the subsidies um, that you like to attract for these projects, but can you give me a little bit of a picture of mm -hmm. what that could be? I don't know if you want oh, to talk well, about Okay, I just wanna go back to one thought, which was do. the idea that these properties are commodities that the town and the district and even private landowners have and and giving them to this community project is somehow a loss to them and it's not the idea that we could have not just housing super important housing super important you know to to build up the overall health of our communities but that we could also have public space and social enterprise and you know a place where we can we've been talking about collaborating so collaborate with some of the other people who are at work in our community to make everybody's lives better you know that we could have the food bank inside the you know the first floor of the the set of um the set of properties it's just the idea that we can, the district, the towns, all the people who are at work to make our community better can collaborate to create a space that is owned essentially by the community. Yes, you know, we are an organization called Muskoka Community Land Trust, but we want to work with the community for what the community wants. So owned and stewarded by the community for the community in perpetuity, yeah. that's not a decrease in value. That's using property and to the I, highest and best. And that's where we have to change the mindset yeah. Yeah. Of, of people, um, you know, at the municipal level, oh anyway. So let's talk about what they look like. Yes. Because <laughs> I love that. I love that, that you emphasize And just that. before I move on, as such, you know the exact needs of the community. That's right. Mm -hmm. Because especially as you get a little bit north of Toronto, the needs of the people in the municipalities sometimes gets lost. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a very important point to make. Mm -hmm. Now, take it away, yeah. Suzanne. Tell yeah, us so what's going on. So <laughs> let's just throw it out there for fun. But they are in Bracebridge building uh, a new beautiful uh, sportsplex with an mm -hmm. arena, etc. So there's this central piece of land, which is not a small piece of land, that is community owned, uh, where the old arena sits. And so I have been thinking about this for a number of years now, of what that could look like under uh, a community land trust development. It would be and, and you could even go into um, the master plan for the downtown of Bracebridge and pull up a consultant's version of that development, which is incredible because it aligns wonderfully with this CLT. Um, they, they said it should be affordable housing. This is a perfect location for that. Um, so we could develop, let's say, a mix of home ownership townhomes, and because it's municipally serviced and the land is fairly flat, we could probably even develop accessory rental units. Like one bedroom rental units are unheard of and desperately needed. Yeah. So we could probably incorporate that into a series of 24 townhomes. It's right beside 
uh, a skate park, a fabulously well-used skate park, right in front of uh, James Street Place, a retirement home. I cannot tell you, my mom's in there, how many afternoons they spend watching these kids in the skate park and loving it. So, okay, what we're gonna do is we're going to better that skate park. We're going to improve seating around it. We'll have an outdoor basketball multi-rec space for the young people. Then we can develop a 50 unit apartment building which could kind of all be around a center with um, meandering pathways, maybe a bike path for the people who are elderly or seniors, we could do a kind of a loop, a walking loop, and even little exercise stations. We can have a bike station, a water fountain. We want to commemorate on the side of a building the history of that arena. That arena has so much history. I'm a mom of three hockey players. <laughs> oh, I cannot tell you the hours and hours and hours. And this is multi-generational hockey players. So we want to incorporate some art and culture in the buildings and the surroundings. We want to do art installations and invite the community in to, and we'll, we'll go for grants. We'll go for whatever grants we can get our hands on to support artists to come in there. Um, we want outdoor seated shady areas. We want community gardens. We want a dog run. Mm -hmm. We want it all and all for that community and also the surrounding community because yeah. they're gonna develop the waterfront in behind there. They're gonna redo the whole downtown master plan. And we wanted to ebb and flow in and out with that development. So I, we will fight tooth and nail to get our hands on that piece of land so that we can develop it on behalf of the community to meet our community needs. Absolutely. Really. I bet you will. Well, we're, tr we're going to, we'll design the stink out of it. Absolutely. <laughs> in explaining what this could be, you say community, but it's going to, I hear unity. Like it's yes. really just going to well, unify generations. Mm -hmm. and it's a cross section of our mm -hmm. population. And where does that happen? Block. It doesn't. And so even even with if we do a multi-level apartment building, what we could do on one side is have a youth center. On the other side, an active living center because our active living center in Bracebridge is not accessible. Have both sides open up by a dividing wall so that if we want to have a greater event space or a shared space we can and then on the other side have accessible units like you know people who have physical challenges that there are no accessible living units a whole backside could be developed for accessible units with bigger parking mm -hmm. spaces and that type of thing so we really do want to integrate whatever we can in there. And even a, a commercial space or a retail space where there is social enterprise, let's say that community decides they're gonna grow a bunch of vegetables, well, come and buy some at our store. Because it's just, there's so much opportunity. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very exciting. Absolutely. Well, with, <laughs> so that's what it looks like <laughs> in, my, in our minds. That is, it really is incredible and I, I I've been so involved in education for so many years and still it seems somebody always gets left behind. Whatever we try to program, 
whatever we try to roll out and it's the fault of no single individual but when everybody's not included then somebody does get left behind so I love the piece that you mentioned about accessibility Mm. because especially in housing if it's not accessible then what then somebody gets left behind. So can you tell me a little bit about um, how we're going to make these places green, for lack of a better word, energy efficient? What does that look like? So that's a wonderful, um, again, opportunity. I won't say challenge. I'll say opportunity. Absolutely. Because, again, we are going to get out there and get as many grants as possible so that we can greenify these buildings. So not only um, do we want to construct with low carbon footprint or net zero, we want to operate efficiently. And, and there's tools that we can use out there, CFAR building analysis tools and passive house building standards that we can incorporate into the construction so that we can ensure that the longevity of these buildings is far surpasses whatever the standard building code is and the energy consumption is you know as low as possible so if we can incorporate a heat pump heating system that is shared between sets of um, townhouses we will it's being done in montreal it's being done in different properties in canada if we can get um you know, solar panel electric system out on the roofs, we will. And so we'll we'll have to position the buildings accordingly. It's a really good open site actually in Bracebridge. We'll have to position buildings accordingly. We have to design it. We actually have to incorporate it into the physical design of the space. Um, so yes, it's, it's part of our value system. So you mentioned a couple other municipalities. Do these land trust projects exist in other municipalities in Canada? Uh, Yes, they do. And some of them are quite well established. Right now, uh, the Canadian Network of Community Land Trust is an association that has pulled a lot of us together. And so the members, I, I believe at this time, are over 40. They span from the West Coast right out to the East Coast and, and up to the Northwest Territories. Wow. So they are at various stages of their development. Um, BC has a, a very large um, partnership with a municipality in Vancouver um, for this type of housing, but we won't talk about it. So every every province has different legislation, and so it makes it very difficult to duplicate. However, um, in Ontario, Park um, Parkdale Neighborhood Land Trust is famous. So I last year or the year before, I think they had 36 housing units that were 36 buildings that they had protected from um, gentrification. Yeah. <laughs> and that word always escapes me. But, um, you know, it was discovered that people were being pushed out. And what happens in Toronto? Well, you, you got to buy in the lowest, poorest neighborhood because eventually you know, the condos are going to come in and bump you out and your value got... Anyway, they wanted to save the neighborhood and they did. So they they assimilated and, and um, created the Parkdale Neighborhood Land Trust and then there's a neighborhood, neighborhood land trust and it just exploded in that area. And last year they were awarded the um, Toronto Housing Commission's pool of um, housing stock and, and it's almost... 
overwhelming, I think, how many units they acquired because of their success under the land trust model to keep things affordable. So they are well-developed and advanced, but they mostly work under rental and cooperatives. In Canada, there are very few home ownership models. And we are hoping that that is something that we will fine tune and develop so that we can take it back to the Canadian network of land trust and say, hey, if this is what you want to do, we've kind of broken the mold. This is kind of the legal structure as to how you can make this happen. Um, so we're business modeling right now in the resale of these homes, which you know, guarantees affordability. That's the modeling that we're doing right now. How, how does that look legally mm -hmm. um, at, to move forward? But across Canada, there are many. In Ontario, we have collaborated with the Opportunities Villages Land Trust in Chatham because they're kind of at the same level we are. Many of these land trusts in Canada are in their infancy. Mm -hmm. And so the network is trying to determine how to best support us but you know, I constantly go to them for resources and they connect me to Josh Brandt in Parkdale and they connect me to um, Mark up in the Northwest Territories. And so I learn from what, other, what has been developed already um, and, and try and incorporate some of those learnings into what we're developing here. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, not a new concept. It's, you know, it's, it came out of the 1960s in the US um, some black farmers were losing land and so they decided to create an association and so they did but the concept of land trust is throughout the, the world it's it's in Europe it's it's everywhere um, Canada is a little bit slow to develop it um, nationally and I think one of the biggest reasons is um, our tax legislation. <laughs> so do you want to talk about not-for-profits and taxation? Like, Well, I mean, imagine you have a piece of property and you want to give it to somebody. Hint, hint. The yes. community land trust. Or a million dollars that you want to donate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you can do that, of course, you know, from the... The goodness of your heart, you can donate, but there are um, incentives, of course, to give to recognized charitable organizations through the tax structure so that you get to participate in the charitable tax credit. Um, and you can't do that if I just, you know, donate to Suzanne. As a non-profit entity. Yeah. So, oh, so, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, have to, you have to donate to a registered charity, right? Because that's how everything is structured. There's the bomb. Yeah. yeah. And, well, right. And when you're a nonprofit or you're a charity, you're not both. Yeah. So in fairness, um, because of the housing crisis here in Canada and in Ontario, I believe the legislation will be changing. Yeah. I believe that they've been working on it for a while, but it doesn't help us get started. So, you know, we don't have a great big pool of funds to get started. So we're applying for grants here in there um, and you know we've obtained some grants but is that going to help us uh, you know in the in the launch that first big project and no it won't so we're we're in need of donations mm -hmm. and we are trying to partner with a charity so right now we're looking at the Muskoka Community Foundation partnership where they can 
accept donations on our behalf and provide tax receipts yeah. for that. Um, and then funnel it to a housing program because it aligns with that charity. Absolutely. Um, so we're working those out, those details out right now. So I wish we could say, please push this button, donate yeah. here and you'll get your tax receipt. But at this very moment in time, uh, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. It's close enough though that it's going to be, I firmly believe that before the December 31st, 2023 charitable donation deadline this year, you will be able to put those donations to work for the Community Land Trust. Yeah, I'm hoping in the next yeah. 30 days. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I always think of tax deadlines. Again, special nerd. So <laughs> I, we, you know, we've done, we've almost held back from doing presentations in our community because of this in yeah. a way. And I did one presentation, well, I've done many, but I went out to the Canadian Federation of University Women, CFUW. There's about 75 members in, uh, in um, the area. And I did a presentation on every year they pick a charity. And as soon as I did that presentation, they were so thrilled to say, okay, we're, you know, we're raising for you. And I haven't, uh, no, I will, we will wait until we're able to provide those tax receipts to those wonderful donors. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So. so right now as a community, if somebody hears this and wants to do something, the way I felt when I heard about this. Yeah. What can we do? How can we be a part of this? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, take it away. It's an audio podcast, but Sandy definitely just raised her hand and waved it in the air. <laughs> and jumped up and down. Yeah. Teacher me loves you for that. Thank you. This is only one small part, but oh my gosh, if you find out about community land trusts and you think, whoa, talk to your neighbors about it. I think one of the things that we are going to work uphill to do, and it's not out of, people are, people are good fundamentally at heart they're really good and people want to see solutions but new things like a community land trust can be scary you just kind of oh i grew up thinking that home ownership was like this or property value was like this and to to be able to in conversation tell people about this new exciting way of of being a community um I, I, we just we need so many cheerleaders mm-hmm. to be successful. Of course we need other things. So Suzanne's going to talk about the other things. You, you can sign up for the newsletter, please. And I will on. link this in the podcast yes. notes, but tell us yes. where we can find it. Um, so we have a website, Muskoka Community Land Trust, and, um, and you can go right onto that website and sign up for the newsletter. So that will keep you... Um, cognizant and in touch with what's happening Mm -hmm. and that's where the donate here button will go as soon as we can um so that's one way um sign up to volunteer so as soon as we get our first project off the ground we're going to have all kinds of beautiful committees so if you want to get involved um if you're in a particular community then you know put your name on a volunteer list so you we can love get a committee. directly. <laughs> well, you can get involved directly, or um, or uh, you can uh, again uh, just be part of the newsletter so you can support us. And and to what Sandy said, um, it's interesting because people, it's a new concept yeah. for it's a brand new housing model. But people, if if you say affordable homes or affordable housing. It's, it's People think diff- social housing. They think social housing. And on the housing continuum, where do we sit, right? So so they think they stigmatize social housing and affordable housing, but it is not that because these are homes people can purchase. 
at a more affordable price. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's not the, it's on the housing continuum. We sit at the um, market house level, but ahead of that. So it's not socially supported or geared to income, but it is affordable before it hits, before you get into the open real estate market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So we can sign up for the newsletter. Once things really get rolling, there are going to be committees that we can be a part of mm-hmm. and talk to our neighbors, yeah. talk to everybody about it. Let people know, because candidly, the people who I've spoken to have asked me, what can I do? That sounds yeah. incredible. Anybody oh. in real estate is so excited about this. And for myself as a service provider, asking for business from the community and realtors if you're listening this is also what you're doing let's put back in Mm -hmm. let's do something to raise up the community that we're asking to support us and our families so i think this is a really worthwhile opportunity Mm -hmm. for people to get involved it's going to keep workers in town it's going to keep young people in town it's going to give seniors a place to right size to um, that aren't wanting to go into retirement living it's mm-hmm. or you know they will still want to be part of a, an active vibrant community so mm-hmm. yes with a small kind of creative mindset shift yeah yep. it's re- we're really not taking from anybody which in in real estate the transactions it's so transactional right like everything is buying taking giving but it stays within the community. Yeah. It builds our community. It lifts up people in our community. I mm-hmm. just think it's such an incredible well, opportunity. And imagine being, you know, a town councilor for the town of Bracebridge and being able to look back on your career and say, I was you know, part. We, right? made, we made something really amazing happen in mm-hmm. Bracebridge or Gravenhurst or Huntsville mm-hmm. or wherever. So a lot of thought has to be put into that design. Mm-hmm. It has to be a design that really succeeds. And yeah. it will be. It will be. I truly believe that it will be because something like this, something so great that could reach so many people, it has to happen. Just a matter of time. So anybody listening to this, please get involved and uh, help out this worthwhile project. And is there anything else that you folks would like to share before I close out? Um... Sandy? Oh, I feel like we just laid it all on the table already. Yeah. <laughs> we do We do have an office here in Bracebridge. Nice. We just opened an yep. office. Um, Whereabouts? At 230 Manitoba Street. Oh, so wonderful. there's a medical building. We're on the second floor. Uh, we're beside the MPP office, which is very strategic. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a great little office. Um, not open 24-7, of course, but, you know, you can always knock on the door and say hello. Mm-hmm. Um, catch one of us there if you can. But, um, uh, but yes, please keep us in mind for donations, for land. If you know mm-hmm. anybody with land, especially in the downtown core area, um, those types of things would be tremendously helpful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And cheerleading. And cheerleading. Mm-hmm. I got my pom-poms ready, ladies. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so if uh, anybody is interested... No, not if anybody is interested. Because you're interested, please visit the website that's uh, in my show notes. I will link everything you need and all the information. And I want to say thank you, ladies, for coming and speaking to me. I am so excited. I'm on like cloud nine just listening to these plans. So I really appreciate your time today. Thank Thank you. you for having us. My pleasure. 